0: Welcome to Board Game Binge, the place where we bring you bite sized, bingeable board game content from across the industry. I'm your host, James Staley, and in this episode, we're chatting with Jack Neville, a game designer and owner of Split Stone Games. His debut title, Mycelia, is currently crushing it on Kickstarter. Jack, welcome to the binge. How are you doing, sir? Hello, hello. I'm good, I'm good. How are you? <laughs> oh, I'm doing great. Thank you so much for joining us. We lined this up at the last minute. So, special thanks to MLB Vanguard for connecting us, your licensing agent, uh, Michael Raftopoulos, there. Uh, super great guy. Thank you, Michael, for connecting us. Man, uh, Jack, we're going to get into this game in a second because it's got me super excited. But first, I am super curious how you got into this industry because I know this is your debut title. So, like first like what do you do as a day job like what's your what do you do f- you know for your your employment um so i'm a graphic
1: designer slash illustrator um and i've got my own little company which i've been running for about eight maybe nine years um so yeah and the, how i got into board games well i don't know i just had an idea basically and i thought i'm gonna go for it <laughs> so it kind of it wasn't a big
0: plan of mine um, yeah,
1: a bit of sort of um, snowboard from there.
0: So, your graphic design illustration is this something <clears> you went to school for, or is it something you just kind of been doing recently? Um,
1: I, I've always been kind of drawing or painting. I, I did uh, art at uh, at secondary school or high school, as you'd call mm-hmm. it. Uh, but then I kind of stopped doing it for a while, wanted to be a musician. I played drums and no, thought no I'd be a rock star. that didn't pan out uh but um yeah i went to university um and did graphic design up in leeds which is a town in the north of england yeah and uh yeah so studied there for three years and then worked in other design studios around the country and kind of started doing my own thing after a while
0: i guess that's the thing right when you um fresh get out of school it's like okay now i gotta start at the bottom right and i'll go and start doing contract work maybe you can get on uh, full time with uh, maybe an agency or so forth hmm. um what kind of areas did you special did you specialize in when you're doing your graphic design like was it a certain industry that you did design for or um do um well early on it
1: was anything and everything um but for my own business i've sort of um more specialized in food packaging which sort oh. of lends itself to board game design because it's all about the box you know and sure intriguing people so yeah i do um a fair amount of uh, kind of food packaging and brand, branding and stuff like that and i always get um samples just good
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah. What, what was your uh, your your gateway game that got you into the industry into the hobby industry what was the one that Ooh. really got you to start playing um i'd say it'd probably be
1: catan I'd say. <laughs> yeah it's just that that dice rolling isn't it <laughs> yeah uh Catan, and then small world i think those are the two kind of games that really got me into it um before then i it was just kind of
0: monopoly when
1: i was a kid or a bit of scrabble but um yeah those two games really
0: yeah it's usually the uh the the lead katan is the lead and that's the one that kind of got me
1: um
0: mm. really introduced to the the hobby outside of risk and stuff like that when I was, when I was a kid. Right. Yeah. Um, but that was the one where I really started planning, like game nights, right. So once a week or once every couple of weeks, we get the family together or some friends and start like planning game night. And then that of course, you know, a gateway, it leads you to the, to the other things in, in this industry, right. Ticket to ride yeah. and things like that as it's continued to expand. And so were you always, um, like was euros kind of your style of game is that kind of what you like to play or what was kind of your was there a certain genre yeah, that you
1: i mean not so much a genre um i, I did quite like um kind of area control games yeah mm. uh, a bit like risk or rising sun or sure uh scythe or or inish um uh but yeah i'm i'm open to anything really if if, if it's fun if they're if like the artwork speaks to me, then you know I'll give it a go. If I one of my favorite games, is Parks, uh, oh, yeah, and that's that's not really, that's a very nice game. You know, so and it's just everything about that game is lovely. So the artwork really intrigues me about certain board games. Um, and then when you play yeah.
0: games, who 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 do you play with? Like, is it is um, family friends? Do you have uh, like a game night that you're part of or a group? Or?
1: So um, my partner, um, her brother. Um, is a very close friend to mine, of mine and his partner. So there's four of us. And So we kind of combine our collections. So we've got quite a big collection together. So we, we play quite a lot. Um, there's a local board game group too. Um, but to be honest, I recently had a baby. Oh, congrats. Well, thank you. Yeah. Um, she's uh, 11 months old now. But ever since then, I haven't had that much time to play board games with a baby <laughs> and then making a board game.
0: And then, being that you're newer into the industry, your um, the design of the game itself. So, I mean, artwork and, and box design, which is important, and you know, the whole aesthetic of the game, of course, is what leads people into it to kind of check it out in the first place. But in terms of your um, your des- design of the game itself, um, where did you kind of cut your teeth there? What were some of the things you used to kind of help you kind of refine those skills?
1: Um. I think, um, well, I I had a few. It's not, I guess, technically, it's not my first board game I've designed because I've had a few kind of ideas before that which I started. And sure, I think with that sort of um, process, you what I worked out is the question I need to always ask myself as I'm playing the game is, Am I having fun? (laughs) Because there'd be so many. I had this idea for a game when you, you crash landed in. Uh, the desert and you had to survive and find water and stuff. And visually it was quite good. I kind of made it was a very cool board I designed, but it just, it, all your terms got a bit convoluted and yeah. people were waiting ages and just people weren't having fun. So, um, but through, when I started cilia I think just the, the initial idea always just try and make it as simple as possible had as fun as possible, but have enough kind of tactical depth so you want to play it again and again. Yeah, um, that was my kind of aim. I, I know I never really started the game to be uh, an area control resource management game. I just tried things and worked out what was fun, basically.
0: So <laughs> it's yeah. a pretty simple um, way of doing it. Um, well, it's I'm important sure. though, I think, right? Like yeah. when I go to prototyping nights, I used to get caught <clears throat> in this trap of you know, okay, give me what, what, you know, where's the game broken? What can be fixed? You know, and, and I, I let people start going really deep on the things that they think need to be adjusted. And I was losing sight of the main thing, which was, was, was it fun? Right. So now what I do is every time I do a play test of someone and they're ready to get feedback, I go, before you do any feedback, I just want to know first and foremost, was the game fun? Yeah. And if it wasn't, that's was totally cool too. If you are like, eh then I need to know that because that's the first thing I need to fix, <laughs> right? Mm. I mean, you could have something all worked out just perfectly, but if it's not fun, well, why are you doing it? Yeah. And right? I think with
1: um, what I've kind of found with design and, and music as well, you kind of, you look at a whole broad range of different games and, or design or music, and then you kind of cherry pick your favorite bits from it. So you kind of, like, I, like the slight gambling aspect of Catan, I, I thought that really worked. So I kind of wanted to bring an element of that into Mycelia and, you know, air control of Scythe, a bit of that. So you kind of take influences from different resources and then kind of mash it together in your idea. And I think that's, um, yeah, that's, that's
0: what my plan was anyway. <laughs> where did the idea for Mycelia come, on, come from in the first place? Like, where did you kind of come up with, I'm going to do a game about Mushrooms?
1: Well... I think it kind of, the catalyst of it was, I was uh, my um, my partner's other brother, she's got two brothers, we're, we're both quite close, and uh, we, he's really into kind of foraging and being outdoors, quite an outdoor person, and we started to just go for walks in the local woods the countryside, and countryside, uh, and yeah, just looking for mushrooms, and it was always very exciting, I thought, it was a bit, I kind of uh, say it's a bit like a adult easter egg hunt because you're just going through the forest like oh there's one here what is it yeah. <laughs> um so yeah and I just started to kind of get more and more fascinated by them reading books watching documentaries and stuff and the more I learned it's just so many mind blow facts that about fungi um yeah just intrigued me so much and I think it's the fact that they're all um kind of hidden because the main organisms underneath the earth and then the mushrooms just pop up
0: yeah. And sometimes very quickly and then it's gone, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It could be a matter of days.
0: Yeah. When I was a kid, we used to hunt for, uh, uh morels in Northern oh, yeah, Ontario yeah. here. So, and it would always be, I remember my grandmother would say, well, okay, it's just rain. So we got to go and we're going to go hunting for morels because it's rain, but now it's sunny today. So we go up and look for pine trees and she always had the specific areas to hunt. Right. And you go and search for yeah. these morels and it was kind of that, that fun little discovery, which was, which was exciting. And then later mm-hmm. in life, some of the research that I have seen on, on mushrooms, I mean, it's, it's astounding, like anti-cancer and all this kind of stuff. Like there's a whole nother path you can go down on, on mushrooms, right. And in, in the utility yeah. of mushrooms. So I can imagine you probably got lost down the rabbit hole when you started researching this, uh, this game.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, um, yeah, read a lot of books about it and I think what also intrigued me and and everyone else that's into mushrooms is that they're all, they're all slightly different and they've all got their own little ca- characteristic and the colors yeah. And, and yeah, that's a kind of variety and there's, so there's thousands and of varieties and I, I don't think people know all of them. Uh, I always,
0: <laughs> uh, I always admire the people where I will see a video where the person will talk about like, a, they were just walking like, Oh my gosh, look at this. And they'll pick up a certain mushroom and then they're like, Oh, this is a great mushroom, and they'll eat it. And I'm like, okay, thank God you know what you're doing because if that was me, that's like probably 50-50 chance I'm going to consume something poisonous, right?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I tend not to uh, eat many of the things that I've found just because of that. Um, Yeah, exactly. You you can, you know, because there's always kind of slight variations and things look like each other. So I think even if you're a complete, you know, um, professional alert, you can still make mistakes.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Now this campaign, uh, I mean, when I said in the intro that you're crushing it on Kickstarter, I mean, that was not an exaggeration. Um, and I'm going to put this in Canadian dollars because it's the only way I can see it, but mm-hmm. you've hit six over $600,000 on a goal of 14856 So on a goal of $15,000. I mean, this, this game has exploded, right? You got 6,747 backers. You still got 12 days to go. So there's always that back-end hockey stick. Uh, probably a very good chance this is going to end 800,000, uh, in Canadian dollars. Um, I mean, bravo on that. Like, so first and foremost, just congratulations on your success, early success, success on this game. Can you walk people through kind of what the essence of this game is and try to use descriptive language if you can for our audience. It's just, they will be listening versus on, on, on the, uh, on the video replay, um, Mm -hmm. And we're going to talk about the visual components in a second. But if you can give people kind of the gist of how you play the game, that would be that'd be awesome. Sure. So um,
1: basically, the game is all about uh, the life cycle of fungi. So you grow mushrooms to score points. And then you spore from those mushrooms, which are these little cubes. Uh, and then eventually, those mushrooms decay. And then you unlock special actions. So the, it's quite a dynamic game. Kind of your, your pieces uh, come... Go on the board, come off the board, and your your areas kind of like grow and shrink. Um, so it's uh, yeah, it, it's sort of an ebb and flow sort of game. You you don't have a you know like a risk when you you, you hold you know Australia and you hold that you're very precious. Things can very easily uh, it's very fluid. That's the word. Mm-hmm. Um, but so essentially, it's a it's a battle for space and resources. So um, all the mushrooms. Uh, that you want to grow have a requirement of spores in certain areas, and the board is made up of triangle tiles, and they have different colors. So um, yeah, you need to be in the right area with the right amount of spores to grow your next mushroom. And it's all about being efficient at growing mushrooms. Um, but the, sort of the, the fun and the jeopardy comes in is that um, the whole game is around the mycelium network, mycelia is the plural of that. Mm-hmm. And so all your pieces are part of your network and your network needs to be connected to grow mushrooms. So other players can come in disrupt that network or even steal spores or block other mushrooms from growing. Uh, so it can be, um, I've heard it be described as a bit, a bit of a mean game.
0: <laughs> oh, really?
1: <laughs> if I, I, I say, it sort of is in a way, but I think it depends on the playing styles. Um, that's what I've really enjoyed over the last kind of six months or so, playing with so many different types of people. That just playing styles are so different. Like with my friends and family, they're all they're quite brutal, <laughs> and they'll, they'll they'll try and be as uh, you know do um, a harsh move on you. But some people just like to have their own little area and protect themselves and just grow mushrooms nicely. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's good seeing um, the different styles.
0: And then this idea of this um of this board with these little triangular tiles, I'm Mm -hmm. showing them on the screen right here. Um, where what was kind of the genesis of that? Was that there from the beginning? Let me actually ask you first, is was it the was mushroom as a theme first, or was the game kind of mechanics first? What what came first?
1: So um it's weird that you mentioned the triangle tiles because basically I had two ideas one was i want to make a board game with triangle tiles (laughs) and then the other one was i wanted to make about mushrooms so they both came on very early on Mm. um and the reason by the behind triangle tiles is that um i don't know why but board games people don't really use triangles that often it's always hexagons i'm not sure the reason why but um uh i just kind of wanted to kind of embrace that and um and I like the fact that because in the game you can add more tiles to the board, so it turns into wonderful shapes and moves and you can make little corridors and it's, it's different every time you play um, but and the the mushrooms I think how I kind of found making the mechanics relatively easy because I was following the science if that makes sense, so yeah, I wanted to focus on the mushrooms, so and they kind of follow the science. The, the, the mushrooms fruit, they, they spore, they decay. And it happens again and again. Um, and uh, yeah, so yeah, I was, I was trying to it kind of made it slightly easier when you have something to follow. Um, but I still had to make it fun. So there's a bit of artistic license there too. It's, like, it's not completely scientifically accurate, because it, it would be fun otherwise.
0: <laughs> And it, on the uh on on your page here you've got the the fruiting section where you've got these cards which have kind of like these dual layer cards and you're placing your mushroom card on top can you mm-hmm. describe that a little bit like is that is that dual layer or is that triple layer like i couldn't tell from the so screen it's, it's
1: it's dual layer um so basically uh because when you decay a mushroom you slot it underneath your player mat uh, okay and i've i've played uh a few games where you you slot games uh, cars underneath your mat and it always gets a bit fiddly and annoying um sure and and i just thought why don't I just make it julia until it's just nice and easy so, <laughs> and uh, and then also kind of it it adds its um also works with the the spore counter which is also on the player map those mm-hmm. fruited mushrooms have a lifespan so you need to make sure you're tracking that Um, so that also has the little divots too. So yeah, it's just, it's dual layer. So you slip the card under and also your spore counter has a nice little, um, divot to sit in, um, into as well.
0: And how many of those, it seems like each player has a lot of these dual layer boards. Is there like several per player?
1: It's five. Yeah. five. So you can potentially have five, um, mushrooms on on the board at one time. Um, I, and also I, I made them individual, um, mats for, for a couple of reasons. One being there was there's five and then if, if it was a, a board that was folded you'd have a crease in the middle and it, it wouldn't really work. Um and also if you're short on time you can just remove one player mat and then just play with four. So you can kind of change the, mm. the playtime if you're short on time. You want to squeeze in a board game before catching a plane or something.
0: Well, I see what you're saying. So you're saying that if uh, for lower player count instead of having the five, you would just remove one of the five. Now you're playing with yeah, four. Yeah, if, if you wanted to, it, it works
1: in the same way. It's just kind of yeah, makes the game shorter.
0: And then, can you talk about this opulent edition? Like I've heard of premium editions. Uh, clearly, this is opulent. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> so, um, I the idea actually came from uh, and uh, something I made years ago. I'm quite into woodwork and mm-hmm. kind of making bits and bits and doing lots of DIY. And I basically made this um, wooden version of Catan. And it was a bit like a, I, my, my plan, my brief to myself was to make it look a bit like the Jumanji box. Do you remember that film, Jumanji? Oh, yeah. And it kind of opened up and, and it looked all old and rustic. And so I, I made this wooden Catan version. People loved it. And then years passed, I didn't really think about it. And then when I started to do the Kickstarter, starting to put ideas together, I just thought, "Oh, maybe I'll, I'll make a wooden version," and it kind of links in with the theme, you kind know, of all wooden components and stuff. So, yeah, <laughs> but it, it is opulent.
0: <laughs> yeah, opulent is definitely sure. the way I would describe that. That is, yeah. um, I'm, I'm still shocked. I'm still shocked of how many people have ordered it. Did you do all these illustrations?
1: Yeah, I've done. I've done everything. Um, Game design,
0: graphic design, illustration—it's a lot of work, say the yeah. least. I mean, but the game looks beautiful. I mean, just again panning over the, the table shots with the tiles. Um, uh, again, the—I uh, think I forget how many pieces of uh, unique artwork. Was it sixty-nine mushrooms or something like that? Yeah, sixty-nine in the standard game. Yeah. And then you've got a poster as well that comes with it. Yeah, on one of the um, pledge tiers. Yeah, on the so, pledge yeah. tiers. Congrats on on creating such a. I'm sure not just a fun and beautiful playing game, but like just something that is visually really beautiful. Right. And I know when I play game nights now, I spend more time trying to find games that I know are going to look good on a table because you're going to mm-hmm. be able to get people that want to try it right and try something new. And, uh, so table presence is becoming more more of a factor recently in my, in my game purchases. So it's always awesome when I see somebody focus so, uh, heavily on uh, on that, um, this campaign being how successful it has been for your first title, uh, clearly you've done uh, your homework. Uh, obviously, there's luck involved and timing, and all these things kind of come into play sometimes as well. Obviously, mm-hmm. um, but a lot of it, I think most of it's probably just doing your homework. What's some of the homework that you did going into this? Did you get advisors from other people? Were you studying other pages? What was some of the things you did to try to increase your odds? So,
1: yeah, um, a lot of it was speaking to people in the industry. Um, luckily, uh, the board game industry is generally just full of lovely people, which is yeah. very helpful. Um, so there's a, I had an old school friend that had a, a great Kickstarter um a few years ago and he gave me some great advice. Um do you know the game Dog Park by Birdwood yes. Games? Yeah. Yep. So they're Jack and Lottie, they they also live in England, not too far away from me. And so they've been really helpful. Um Jack is just a, a wealth of knowledge. Uh and so he's given me great tips. So I've just been speaking to people when I can, just trying to get little bits of information, scribbling it all down. Um and uh, yeah, trying to follow the instructions. But I think one of the good bits of advice that I got early on was just get your mailing list like as big as you possibly can beforehand. Um, yeah, which was my kind of the, my main aim for the last well since January till about a month ago. Just always trying to build it um, through going to conventions or.
0: Um, How big is your mailing time? list now? If you don't mind me asking. Uh, is 3,500, nice. Um, which,
1: yeah, someone, someone told me one of the uh, bits of information I got was uh, about 10%, maybe we'll, between 5 and 10% of your mailing list will back your game. But <laughs> I don't know what happened to me, but I have seem to have doubled, <laughs> doubled my mailing list through actual backers, which is just, yeah. Well,
0: I right. think part of it is um, it's the momentum that you generate. Right, so um, starting off out of the gate with uh, you know at least funding uh, and and not kind of these fake fundings where people pick like two hundred dollars as their their goal and they you know ten times fund it we funded ten times ten x in the first thirty seconds while your mm-hmm. your target was two hundred dollars, but having you know a reasonable um, you know cost set for your your game and, and target and then and hitting that quickly uh, is you know, creates momentum and yeah. um absolutely your mailing list, I would say is probably the most important thing. And that was uh Chandler Copenhaver, who uh, is now at Backerkit. He was at CrowdOx at the time. Uh, he told me that, you know, he's like, you know, James, and I'm like, what about, you know, getting the pre-signups? And he goes, yeah, they're important, but you own your mailing list. You don't own the signups at Kickstarter, right? So yeah. all those people that pre-sign up for your campaign, Kickstarter will hit them when you, you know, 48 hours before you launched, 48 hours before it's done. And then you got to try to hopefully fold them into your, uh, through opt-ins into your, your mailing list. But if you can get people to sign up to your mailing list first and have that drive them over to the pre-sign-up list, you're going to have a much stickier um, uh, acquisition, right, uh, uh, of, a, of, a, of a backer. Um, I noticed that you're using backer kit on your campaign too, which I'm sure has been helpful. Uh, did they do pre ads for you or just in campaign ads or how are they working with you?
1: Yeah, not, not pre ads, just the in campaign. I am um, lucky I had, uh, a friend who runs a marketing agency. Is that London.
0: trapeze media? That is trapeze
1: media. Yeah. My, my old school friend, Kitty, um, she's great, uh, so she she helped me out with running those ads. So I'm glad I had some help.
0: <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, I mean, and I'll mention it because you are using Backerkit, but there is even on uh, Backerkit launch, um, they've got a program where I think it's like $100 and you can use them as, as like a MailChimp. Uh, they will feed in prior campaign backers if you had them. Um, but what I use them for is uh, there's a handy tutorial in there on how to set up uh, Facebook ads. Okay. And uh, lead generation out specifically, and when I did that tutorial, my acquisition cost pre campaign like was a quarter of what it was before. I really had no idea what I was doing before that. I still don't yeah. really know what I'm doing, but it helped yeah. me at least get closer to the uh, to the goal. These guys uh, clearly can do a lot better than 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 we can, but um, it's important to to study that kind of stuff, right? Because these are the kind of things that can really be the difference between whether you're successful or not. But you know, The bigger you can create that audience before you even launch, the greater chance you have of success. And then I think from there, uh, then when people see the game and clearly the way you've presented it here, where it's visually stunning, right? I think that then really helps bring it to that next level and uh, and really accelerate it from there. Yeah. What is next for you? Uh, obviously, the bug has bitten uh, you. You've now uh, got a campaign that's funded quite, uh, quite high, which puts some... The tank for you know future developments and so forth have you started thinking about another game or, or kind of what comes after mycelia
1: yeah well i've 20 i've i've been thinking about games for the last year but i've had to stop myself you know, <laughs> because we <laughs> focus on mycelia get this done um so there's there's ideas knocking around up there um and i have also uh i think probably gonna do some sort of um expansion as well mm. um I haven't really ironed out the details, but I, I, it's, it's similar in the fact in, in a similar to wingspan that there's different areas and different types of kind of mushrooms. You know, there's there are ones that glow in the dark or psychedelic ones, and there's all these different kind of avenues I can go down. So um, yeah, go regional.
0: Like you can even go by continent, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, because it, in one of the um, Pledge tiers, there's there's an Australasia expansion. Uh, so there's a found the mushroom that is just, uh, endemic to that, that area. So yeah, there's a whole, the, the world is a my oyster. There's, there's so much <laughs> great stuff about mushrooms that, yeah, there's, there's going to be, I could do hundreds of expansions. Probably,
0: yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> bye, amazing. Bye, 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 bye. <laughs> well, for anybody that wants to check out this campaign, I encourage them to, I'll put a link in the show notes. So it's easy. They can just click on it and go there. Uh, but if you go on Kickstarter, just type in mycelia. That's M Y C. Uh, to get uh, to the mushrooms. Check out this campaign. Again, it's a feast of the eyes. You'll love what you see. Uh, Jack, I want to wish you all the best of this campaign. I can't wait to see how it ends for you. You still Thank got 12 you. days to go. Uh, man, I think you're going to be flying high when this thing's done, my friend. Yeah. Well, I'm already flying high. <laughs> <Just> I'm <saying. laughs> <laughs> All right, you take care. Cheers. Again, Bye-bye. This has been an episode of the Board Game Binge podcast hosted by James Staley produced by James Staley and Mike Bruner, with original music by Nick Smith. If you would like to watch these interviews live, simply subscribe to our YouTube channel, Board Game Binge, and you'll get access to live interviews, giveaways, and interesting board game content from across the industry. I can't wait for you to join us. See you next time.